The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. How long has it been since you've done the pour? Oh, just I mean, I poured wine yesterday. What a, oh, <laughs> all right. Not, not, not well, on microphone. Well, hit it. Right on your own glass. Ah, nice pour. Pedroncelli pour. So, Jim, good morning. We're up in Geyserville, actually, right? Legally? Right here in Geyserville. Let's talk right suburbs. into that microphone, my friend. And the, suburb, the suburbs of Geyserville. Yeah. You know, my <laughs> <The> metropolis of <laughs> yeah. Geyserville. My, we'll be driving around Sonoma County. My wife will say, what town is this? And I'm like, this is unincorporated Sonoma County. Right. And she's like, but I don't understand. What is it? And I said, this is unincorporated right. Sonoma County. Where does their mail go? And I said, well, at the particular place, this is probably Petaluma. Here, it's probably Geyserville, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. We have our own uh, post office in Geyserville. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, hey, we are the winemakers. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I'm John Myers with Brian Casey, Bart Hansen, Sam Katuri. Wow, full crew today. And Jim Petrucelli, thank you so much for being such a yeah. great friend of Bart's over the years. And, and uh, We've only first, this is the oh, first time I, we've met. Okay, so, so how how do you guys So for get me, the how this goes is that there was there's this gentleman, Ed St. John, and, ah. and Ed was um, a salesperson. As in Edmund? No. No. No, okay. just Ed St. John. Okay. Um, uh, Ed was a salesman, and um, and he and Mike Lee were good friends. They were more sparring partners oh, was than anything else at Kenwood. Okay, great. Um, and, and Mike would beat up Ed on price of whatever it was he was <laughs> buying. And, and my classic line that Ed said to Mike one time in front of all of us said, Mike, he goes, do you like the products that I sell you? And Mike said, of course, that's why we're doing business. And... And Ed says, well, then, Mike, you need to allow the company that sells you the things you want to make enough money so they can stay in business to give you, sell you the things that you want. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think Mike still continued to beat him up, you know. So oh, well. at any rate, so that's how I knew Ed. And then and then at Benziger, Ed also was our, uh, sold stuff to us. And he and Terry Nolan worked together at um, Chalk Hill. No, Alexander Valley Vineyards. Um, and, uh, so there was a connection there. So, um, so, so, and then I've met Julie over the years. And so we're here because we're at an iconic winery here in Sonoma County. Oh, I mean, yeah. bonded winery 113. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Um, what year uh, would that have been? Oh, that was pre prohibition, uh, numbering. Uh, 19, 1927, according to the label. Excellent. That's, that's when our family started, okay. but they used a number that had been given before uh, prohibition. We're back when they started with number one, which I think was in Cucamonga, actually. And then they just kind of <laughs> uh, sequenced it, and we were number 113. And then we assumed that number when uh, Amazing. my father bought What history here. Yeah. We were out in the fields this morning across the street, and everything is just looking beautiful, but late. Very I mean, late. what's happening with the harvest up here? Look at uh, just late. It's just a late start. We had so much winter, rain, and uh, and cold, and so everything got started a little slower. And, uh, and so Are you like a month behind, maybe? Oh, in, yeah. In I, I would say about a month. Growing? From what, uh, what the vineyard managers yeah. said. Yeah. So, yeah. But, you know, sometimes a slow ripening is not bad. 
You get more flavor in the grapes. Right. Sam, so what's Phil uh, stewing about this morning? Anything? I mean, how much time do we have, John? Uh, no, you know, I think everybody's in a kind of in a, you know, hurry up and wait kind of mode. Um you know, there's there's vineyard projects, you know, development projects and replants and stuff going on. But, uh, you know, thinning thinning is happening. Some shoot positioning is happening. But it's a whole lot of, um, you know, seeing what we can do to, you know, make sure that that crop is balanced and all at the same, you know, all at the same uh, benchmark as far as well, yeah, I mean, the ripening curve. Yeah, I mean, we're starting late. So there's on the other side, there's going to be an end date. Um, and so you need to get there at this point as best you can. Right. right? And, you know, it probably behooves us to get there sooner than later. Right. <laughs> For lots of reasons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, let's yeah. look. Can we, Jim, kind of start it when your family first purchased this piece of property, uh, right. I think 1927. Right. 1927. Right. Uh, in the middle of prohibition time. Which kind was, of an odd time to purchase yeah. a vineyard. Actually, it was, it was a good opportunity because who was going to buy a winery in prohibition the market time? market was down. So, <laughs> right. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, so they purchased uh, at that time. Uh, it had been a, an existing winery, but uh, it closed down during, during prohibition. Yeah, and I, I just learned that recently. It, it, so they were actually making wine off of this property before... Your father took it over, and yes. and and so when were they? What was the first year that they were originally making wine on this property? Uh, as far as we could tell, it, it goes back to uh, 1904. Uh, it, it was actually owned by a, a, a grocery owner out of San Francisco, and I guess they used that to supply wines to their their customers. And, right, and of course everything kind of fell apart with prohibition. So that was... Because I think yeah. at the time there was 13 different wineries in this area that, during prohibition and then coming out of it, it was it was you guys and it, Fry. That's yeah. just about <laughs> just about it. But uh, yeah. yeah, everybody in the beginning used to be uh, a home winemaker, basically. And then uh, then it, it changed with, with prohibition. So. so the business model at first was grow grapes and sell them to friends, neighbors, relatives, uh, whoever would buy the grapes and then make Church. your own uh, Church. churches. And what was the uh, limit you could make? 500 gallons? No, 200 gallons. 200 gallons, 200 gallons. okay. Could, yeah. Which still, if you think of is... Still a lot of wine. You know, it's about three and a half barrels, something like that. So Well, and isn't it, wasn't it per person per, per household? So if you had two adults living in the house, couldn't you? Well, I, that? well, I, I'm not sure about it. I think it was household, but it okay. it could have been. Yeah, you know. it might have just been something. Well, and I don't know. Maybe who that was actually... just something that your family said to themselves <laughs> as they made yeah. more wine than they were allowed to. <laughs> well, and who was coming around knocking on doors, checking that stuff anyway? Was was were you? Was there any fear of someone coming and seeing that the you were revenuers? making more wine? Elliot Ness. Uh, <laughs> well, I the think they were more concerned with uh, uh, whiskey make, you know, people running stills. In fact, across the street, there was a, a still that uh, oh, was in operation, not 
wasn't involved with a family, but uh, uh, it was operating. Moonshine. Until, California moonshine. Uh, until the revenueers got them. So, yeah. huh. That's so. hysterical. And so, so what was the first, what was the end of Prohibition? What year was that? That was 1933. Uh, I think it was actually December of 33. So. Uh, okay. December 5th yeah, or repeal, 7th. Repeal day. Yeah. yeah, fifth yeah. repeal day. We try and celebrate that every. We year. celebrate oh, yeah. almost oh, well, sure. <laughs> sure. every every year. This yeah. year we should plan ahead and actually like throw a party as well. You know, no, let's let's not get off brand. <laughs> <laughs> so you so your father I think came here from Italy uh, and your mom both yeah. from generally the same area in Italy. They lived not too far apart, but didn't know each other um, back in the in the home country. Came here. I think your dad was working on railroads. Right. Um, yes. Your mom's family was in the sort of the boarding house business, so they were putting people up. Um, they somehow met. I don't know if you even know how they <laughs> met for the first time. Uh, actually, I do not. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he's a little frightened. <laughs> yeah, it's more history than I <laughs> I need. But anyway, yes, very, very uh, much so that they met up in. Uh, uh, my father was in Dunsmuir, and uh, mother was in Reading, and uh, with the, especially with the boarding house uh, type of uh, yeah. culture, then uh, uh, it was a natural to get together. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then why did they decide on this? Well, piece I want to know what part of Italy, though. Ah. Good question. Uh, they were uh, northern Italy, uh, near Lake Como. Okay. It was probably oh, way the, the most, Ooh, yeah. the most right. recognized nice. area, okay. but even further north towards okay. the, the Swiss border. So uh, it was up in the mountains. Not a lot of grapes up there. So that uh, Alto <laughs> Adige. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the, I mean, I know because my family came from Switzerland, the Italian-speaking part of Switzerland, to Asti. Uh, the Italian Swiss colony. So, I, I, you know, curious, you know, you, seems like from different parts of Italy, people ended up in different, you know, parts of California, right? Yes, I think uh, a lot of it was, uh, I think the landscape here was, was vineyard and natural hillsides and so uh, uh, lend itself to felt like, really felt like home. A good, a good place to grow grapes and yeah. make wine. So, yeah. yeah. So, the, so the plan then sort of changed after prohibition because now you could actually make wine but i don't think you guys were making wine to sell initially right not during prohibition no, uh, no and then even immediately after uh started in uh i think we got in 1935 we've got the permit from the uh uh well BATF, TTB, or right. whatever they called it then. Right. But uh, so to restart and, and start production. And what, what kind of grapes were on this property at the beginning? Well, uh, typical grapes were, well, the, the key probably was Zinfandel. Uh, then there was Carignan, uh, <laughs> uh, Petite Syrah, and I remember a little bit of Alicante was growing. Yeah. All, all red varieties. And not necessarily planted distinctively in each own block. A lot of times they would be intermingled in the, yeah. in the, within the vineyard. I was always curious, and Sam, you might be able to answer this too. When you're when there were planting like that, when you had true field blends in the vineyard, everything doesn't ripen at the same time, right? Uh, true, true, but uh, uh, mostly fairly close. I guess maybe they uh, they would if it was 
strictly field bland, they would they would have to harvest them all at the same time. Uh, if they were separate, uh, you know, maybe more separate, they would go row by row. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, this is not based on necessarily like science, but yeah. it seems like those field blends were you know thrown together or worked together because because they did sort of like make up for each other's ripening curves and right. you know what one lacked another one brought you have the alicante out there that's going to bring color with the you know the petite Syrah, and you know you have the carignan carrig carrigan uh, yeah. to, <laughs> to to you know, bring that, on, my friend. To, you know <laughs> sort of fill out some of the the mid-range and you know kind of make up for the wildness of zinfandel and uh, and there's also been this discussion i'm curious if you have any experience or, or agree or disagree or just to bring it up is that the field blends were different kind of regionally. So the field right. blends that they found in Russian River were different than Dry Creek or Alexander Valley because they different did understand ranch and right. Rock and, and they there. did understand that their weather, what they were trying to make up for it. So well, and, you know, yeah. you also have to remember that um, those they weren't necessarily all planted at the same time. You go and you plant stuff, and some vines don't make it, and you go and you replace it with something else, right? Right. And so you know the ages. Of those vineyards, probably, you know, it's not like everything was planted in 1865, period, and move on from there. It's like as, you know, just like now, as a vine fails, it gets hit by a tractor or, you know, the horse with the plow or whatever, you go and you replace it with something else. So I think those field blends evolved as, you know, the wine, you know, the winemakers were figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, probably some choices. You know, some winemakers like the Zinfandel and a little bit more than right. the, than the Petit Soir, right. and they right. try to, to balance them out. So. And and you know, I I also don't know. Like they were trying to make really good wine, but it there wasn't the pressure to do it as there is now, or the there wasn't so it wasn't as big of an you mean industry. Robert Parker wasn't around. <laughs> was, there, was, right, right. there was nobody directing what they thought was good. Yeah. And think about the way that the wine was. We talked about this before we you know when we when we got here before we started recording that you know they didn't you get bottled wine here for the first time in the forties or early. Late forties uh, or something. Forties, late forties. Yeah. Every other before that, every drop of wine left here in a barrel. So, so you'd yeah. want something with a ton of tannin and acid that's going to survive being in a barrel in a grocery store in San Francisco that's half full for a week. You know those things that uh, yeah. what what constituted good wine and the needs of like the wine when it left here was totally different than it is you know now, right? Yeah. Well, and it was also. Uh, a, a continuation of a home winemaking, really. Right, so right. they were uh, the people that really uh, drank the wine early on were the mostly Italian uh, uh, descendants, and they drank uh, some hearty wine. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, and there was no ceremony about it. They just drank wine. Because it was, it, part of, yeah. it was just part of life. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's what the California wine industry has done to itself, is that it, for a t- time period, they, that wasn't the way it was. It was like, oh, open this bottle on a special day. And meanwhile, people are wondering why, you know, 
bottles of wine aren't going to consume, right? Because you know. they're waiting for that moment. Right. <laughs> yeah. Don't open a bottle. Tap the barrel, yeah. pour yourself a glass, and then when the barrel's gone, go back up to Geyserville and get another barrel. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm assuming that there was no French oak barrels around at that time. So what do you what do you store in this this juice in? Well, uh, early on with some barrels, a lot of times you uh, you got them from whiskey companies. Old, old used whiskey barrels. Yeah. It's a trend now, too. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so that's what's the small lots were in, in small barrels like that. Right. And of course, the larger uh, containers were redwood, redwood tanks. Do you so, guys still have some redwood tanks? We actually still have a few. We don't use them anymore. We kind of look at it. It has to be interesting what that taste. imparts in, in terms right. of taste from a redwood. Uh, right. Although usually the, the, it wasn't like you got a new new redwood yeah. tank every year. They were older tanks, and they they there wasn't a lot of extract off of the wood, so you didn't really get uh, get a flavor out of it. It was maybe more more true to the grape than it was to the, yeah. to the oak aging. And 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 I, from what I've understood, the reason why they got away from redwood, although some people have always used redwood um, out there, the 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 bedrock folks and and Joel Peterson, but. Um, Redwood was Tony hard. Tony Katuri. Redwood was hard to take care of because it was soft. Um, it's a soft wood. Um, oak was hard, you know, uh, and more dense, and so it was easier to maintain. Um, that was part of the reason why they changed over. And then they probably were running out of redwood trees, also, because um, there's, you know, those all those old tanks were old growth redwood. Like they were, they're perfect. If Kenwood, we used to have a barn full of old redwood that they had milled down and there you couldn't find a defect in it, you know? Yeah. Um, so. And so what were you doing? You, I mean, you have two sisters and an older brother. You're, you're the baby, I guess. Right. Right. I'm and, gonna, and got so, all the attention. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> For better or worse. <laughs> so growing up on a piece of property like this, I, I was thinking about this the other day, back then was there people that, came up from Southern California or Mexico to pick grapes at that time? Or was it more like a family thing where you and your siblings were out there picking grapes? Uh, well, somewhat uh, as much as possible for the family to do the, the work. But during the harvest, there were, it was always uh, migrant people, not necessarily uh, Hispanic, but uh, there were right. a lot, in the early days, there were a lot of uh, Italian workers around and they would do the... Uh, uh, do the day-to-day -day work, but also involved in the harvest too. Yeah. And the harvests weren't as large either, so it wasn't like uh, like today that right. larger amounts. Right. Yeah, because what percentage in this general area of Dry Creek was planted to grape as opposed to we were just mentioning uh, peaches earlier or prunes or um, other types of agriculture? Mostly, uh, especially. Uh, following the or during the prohibition time and in following shortly it was mostly into prunes in the in the valley floor and the hillside still had had the graves but the majority was was really in prunes some pears apples but uh, your peach tree outside is looking pretty good yeah yeah they, they did your, well here <laughs> your father planted that uh yeah it goes back into that that time frame yeah yeah, so. I, I mean, I'm, I can remember there being orchards on 101 in Geyserville, like right there where we got off, cut off, like in, as a child, I can remember it not being just vines. It was, 
it was oh, yeah. more than that. So, I mean, it, it it was around for a while. I feel like that even started to happen in my lifetime. Yeah. Like in the 80s was really when a lot of those orchards started getting pulled, pulled out. Pulled out, grape, yeah. Grape vines going yeah. in. Yeah, and, and that would go along with the business, you know. I mean, pre-80s, the wine business was still pretty small, and there weren't a lot of you guys. Right, right. right. So, well, and especially it, it was economics, too. Uh, growing prunes didn't didn't have a lot of return. Right. And then when grapes got more popular then, of course, you, you converted to Chardonnay or something. Yeah. Where did all those prunes go to? Because Sonoma, Sonoma Valley was lots of prunes. You know, all of uh, like the San Giacomos were doing pr- I mean, what was the, where were we using all these prunes in America in the, the, up until this, was a, we were a very regular country. Like, what was going on? Yeah. I guess there's alternatives now. I guess so. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I know. You still, I mean, you do see prune juice once in a while yeah, on the shelves like, at the, the store. The prune market but... is definitely not what it used to be for whatever reason. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, Sam, you have a legitimate um, point. You know, my my friend George worked for the California Peach Tree Canning Peach Organization when he first graduated college, and he w- he worked somewhere over in northern Sacramento Valley, and he'd go, yeah, come on over, and he goes, well, go get some chocolate-covered prunes. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was a Don't store. Tempt me it was with like, a good time. <laughs> It was like a prune tasting store, um, so you know. Yeah. Wine, taste, pod- wine tasting seems yeah, more appealing right. than prune tasting. Let's there might be a podcast there. So, yeah. so, so go ahead. So, so I'm wondering. So Jim, at what point do you? The whole thing about selling the barrels, sort of fat, and I don't think a, people understand that that you used to just sell the barrels to the store, and then at what point do you start putting them into? jugs because they weren't 750 mil bottles at first and then did they have labels on them at first well uh in the beginning with it was still the barrels and in fact the the uh, stores could could fill your your uh your jug if a person would bring a jug right. from home and fill it up at the store and then the law changed to you could no longer do that you had to uh have a clean fresh uh Jug sanitary, yeah. sanitary part yeah. of the, part of the regulation. So that we started uh, end of uh, end of the forties with some uh, bottling, uh, and again it was it was bulk kind of wine in bulk sizes. We weren't bottling in in uh, in seven uh, fifties. Uh, in, yeah. in fact, even that changed. Uh, it wasn't seven fifties or metric. In those early days, it was it was gallons or half gallons, right? And then uh, then we converted to uh, metrics later on in the in the uh, the time frame. Yeah, yeah. Well, and was that all all the bottling done by hand? I'm assuming. Oh yes, all, all done by hand. Uh, there was some early equipment, just but everything. You know, they would have spouts, and <laughs> and you yeah. you put a, a gallon jug up under it and uh, and fill. And then people, would you then deliver that somewhere or were people just buying the jugs of wine if they came to visit you here uh, on property? Uh, Some would come and visit, but also we would, we would deliver. We started to uh, going into San Francisco and, uh, and uh, restaurants and, uh, and shops and, and and just about anywhere. If you, uh, if you wanted it, we could get it to you. Yeah. uh, Because I'm just imagining eating dinner at a 
restaurant in San Francisco and they don't bring the jug over to the table, do they? Or they put it in a, like a decanter? Uh, yes. Crafts. Crafts, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, or I guess they would serve it if you got a glass of wine. They wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't be out of a bottle. It would be out of the, the jug. It's a draft. Yeah. yeah. Just like a beer. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I think, I think that, they used to just pour them into crafts, and I'm sure it would get to a point where they would probably break it down into larger jugs, you know? I mean, yeah. there's all sorts of old glass containers around, and, you know, they, they you can still buy them at beverage people. They have, there must like be like eight-gallon glass carboys, oh you know, and they have like a, now they have a rubber coating over them, so right. it, it was, they it probably to had like to wicker, be like the wicker baskets around them and stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they, yeah exactly. Um they must have used stuff like that because they, you can't have a barrel just, I mean. The wicker kind of looks very Italian, too, doesn't it? Did you see that um, a friend of the podcast, uh, uh, Patrick Capiello, is doing some, isn't he doing something with some, like, uh, those, like, old-timey, you know, Chianti yeah. wickers or something like that? I think that? he teased that when yeah. he was on the show, that he was doing that. Yeah. So. And then it'll inevitably end up with a candle in it. Uh, on someone's table, yeah. some yeah. girl's dorm room. Yeah, <laughs> but but his will have like a a skull on the label, right. not like... changes colors <laughs> when the temperature is different. <laughs> so so what? And I think another thing that sort of blew my mind was was um, that these wines that you're producing and selling don't have a vintage on them. No, no vintage, which uh, seems crazy to people now. Right, but that. W- yeah. Oh, but that was very typical. Nobody, you uh, you made well, and you didn't want to necessarily uh, hang on to that wine too long either, because it wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't probably filtered very well or or right. very stabilized. So uh, yeah, you uh, you you consume from year to year. Yeah, you weren't selling to collectors. You were selling to <laughs> people that were just drinking it day to day. People had to do with their meal, and it wasn't just once a day. It was at least lunch in breakfast, lunch, and little, dinner. A little bit in the morning too, uh, but usually it was white wine in the morning, and then changed to uh, reds at, at lunchtime and dinner. So, yeah. So, what were the white grapes that you had planted out here? Uh, back then, it would have been uh, something called Golden Shastlas, yeah. uh, which is I think huh. a Palomino, and uh, right. there was. Uh, Oh, later on it was from French Columbard, no longer grown. Uh, Sauvignon Vert, not. not now, s- what is Sauvignon Vert? I don't. It's uh, it's a an offshoot of uh, Sauvignon, but it it's it's actually a different grape, and you don't you no longer see that. It's uh, it wasn't as as distinctive. It was the same as as Golden Chasselas were not very distinctive wines, but it was right. a lighter wine. So right. Yeah. When we were talking to Julie earlier about you, when you see those old bottles that said Burgundy, now we assume that that was Pinot Noir, but that wasn't necessarily the case. Oh, it had no connection to Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> and, or the one that basically said, the uh, bottle shape was yeah. Burgundy, right? Right. Or the one that said Chablis, like I remember. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, seeing it's not the finest Chardonnay. You could was hit. not the finest Chardonnay. <laughs> um, yeah. So, what was the distinction between a a, a claret? And a Burgundy. Well, I think that uh, probably in the beginning there wasn't any distinction, but then later on, uh, for some reason, Burgundy was more trendy than, than mm. Claret, 
and I, it ended up being claret would be a little lighter wine than the than the Burgundy. And okay. It's kind of it didn't have any regulation to it, so it. Uh, and and claret so. was a more of a British um, term, I think. Right. That was the Brits used to like to buy clarets from from Europe. Right. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I believe that's what yeah. I... Well, that's uh, what I think of Claret as being Bordeaux varietals, and I think of Burgundy as being, you know, Burgundian varietals. But, right. um, yeah, I don't know if that, that... But there was a whole bunch of Zinfandel in those Burgundy. <laughs> there, no, There's probably yeah. Zinfandel in both of them. Oh, yeah. oh for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and then, do, what was the first year that you guys actually put Sonoma County on the labels here? Uh, that was in the fifties, the uh, mid fifties, probably about fifty five, fifty six. Uh, we started with with using Sonoma. Before that, it was always California. Everybody, regardless right. of where it was from, it was California. So at that point in the fifties, if we flash forward to that, was there had it evolved to distribution, um, or was it still all done within the the your own family's company? Uh, well, we we did have uh, direct from from the the family's company here. We we didn't have a distributor at that time. Uh, so at so that it, point, you was, if you were selling it out of state, someone from the family was going out and selling it out of state. Uh, people come to you looking for it. Well, somewhat, but mostly it was it was pretty much within the state. It was. We yeah. we didn't go out of state okay. for for quite a while. Right. Uh, okay. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it wasn't until the '60s or something that you maybe crept out of California. Yeah, right, a little we bit. started uh, to uh, to move out, move the borders out a little yeah. bit more. So, yeah. Well, and whose idea was it to put Sonoma County on there, and what was the thinking behind it? Well, uh, it was probably uh, uh, my brother. Probably mostly had that that in mind. Uh, it was it was to give it a little bit of distinction and uh, separate it out from uh, you know grapes from some of those other regions that are well, well so okay yeah, you were saying that it makes me think yeah was <laughs> was <smart>. there <laughs> was there some sort of bias like if people were getting grapes from central valley or from lodi or from someplace else was was there an impression that the that wasn't as high a quality as uh, sonoma fruit i think it uh, definitely was was true that huh. if they were uh, they probably had made homemade wines from Sonoma County or different regions, and they found that it was, you know, more more flavorful, more intense than some of the yeah. higher production areas. And some of those areas, you get down southern areas, they weren't really into the into the wine grapes so much as they were into Thompson Seatless and some of those so things. Was Pedro, was they the first you the first people to put Sonoma County on a bottle, or was other people doing that around the same time? We were one of the first. I think there was uh, the only one other I recall was Hansel. Okay, in, in, yeah, yeah. Uh, right around that Sonoma. same time. Yeah, about that. I think we were the we were the next there. I mean, yeah. that do I I feel like that was kind of the time where quality became a focus for wineries. I mean. Not that quality wasn't always the focus, but they were trying to, just what you said, distinguish themselves. Would you say that was the, the era? Yes, when I think really that, that was a started, uh, started it, and then also getting into the uh, varietals, uh, even if it was only Zinfandel, at least it was different than right. the Burgundy. Right. And, uh, and then starting a little late, later, starting planting some of the other varietals. Uh, so. 
I mean, Bruno Benziger would like to probably take credit for all of the that. Fighting but, right, right. Yeah. but no, it was all, it was there well before that. Yeah. Um, I, I'd like to focus a little bit on the difference in the agriculture and how you grew back then and how it is now. I mean, we saw a sustainable sign out in front. The vineyards look great. Um, but how, how were you farming here in, uh, back in the start in the 20s when you were here and then in the 50s and beyond? Yeah, well, it was definitely different. Uh, for one, uh, just the cultivation was by horses. And uh, right. that's that's what I remember that we had uh, three or four horses for cultivation, and that was up until we didn't get our first tractor till late in uh, the '40s. So before then, it was all. Uh, well, what does that mean exactly? So does that mean that you were using them for tilling, or using them when also when you're picking the grapes, you're loading them up with the grapes? Uh, both, both that way. Uh, oh. The tilling, uh, the yes, plowing, right. and then, uh, and then, uh, and then also you would tow a, uh, a little sled through the through the vineyards with, and the pickers would put a box, the boxes onto the slads, and yeah. and the horse would pull it. So it. it and you know. were you doing cover crops and beneficial things back then? Uh, there was some cover cropping. Um, maybe not quite in the really early times uh, that kind of developed a little bit maybe into the later 50s and 60s when people got more into the into trying to do better with the vines than than just letting it grow right. yeah. yeah and and uh, fertilizers and things like that nitrogen into the soil did the they... horses yeah, yeah there is. a lot of that, right? Okay, good. <laughs> it was, it was definitely organic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you know, uh, I guess that when I think what John's also wondering about is like at some point we went from organic fertilizers to uh, what do they say, petrochemical, you know, fertilizers, and um, it, it kind of all changed. Uh, and I think that was like post post, post war, right? Post war, um, that's where things you know started to. They tried to do things. Well, you tried to save a buck, right? Like farming's always been hard, um, and it's certainly you know when you're doing what you guys were doing. Um, yeah, it was, it's always been hard. So, I think that's what led down to you know what we now call conventional farming, um, and it's interesting to see it all kind of swinging one way or another and back again, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you you grew up here, did you ever leave and go explore the world or get a job doing something else or how, were you, could you talk about that kind of like what and what you were expecting what the expectations were the youngest of four right right well uh yeah it was it was different i I did have uh uh just to go back to my uh, earlier times I did a little traveling courtesy of the U.S. Army. Oh, and so, yeah. so I got to explore uh, wine regions of Germany. And, oh. uh, <laughs> yeah. and uh, so that was, that was that. And I did go to college for a few years, and, and so I, I did have uh, some uh, outside uh, <laughs> development there. And uh, where did you go to college? I went to uh, St. Mary's College in, oh. in California, yeah. yeah. Study economics, so yeah, that's uh, <laughs> go Gales. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. you go, and uh, Moraga, California. Right, right. So uh, that was kind of my early time. Although I do remember one of my thoughts during that time is, was there ever going to be 
uh, continuity to the wine business because I could see that the people who were drinking wine were the old, the old Italians, old Frenchmen, and I didn't see uh, my generation, which was 20 years old, uh, drinking a lot of wine. So uh, it was kind of introduction level of, of beer and... Uh, and, and other drinks. And it's yeah. the same, same thing yeah. today, right? Same story yeah. the crow told me. It's the only one he knows. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and, and everybody looks at it now and goes, uh, When will young people start drinking wine? Yeah. yeah. It's just, it takes time. It's all the old Italians still drinking wine. <laughs> yeah, well, true. Yeah. <laughs> we Thank need God. more Italians. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and how did you guys, between you and your brother, why was it that he was the winemaker and you ended up being the sales and marketing guy? Well, uh, well, he was the older, so he, he, well, he was into the production end of it earlier on, and then uh, as we developed a little bit more of our own bottling then we needed the guy to do the the wine sales or last minute or, or the, go, s- go sell this to him <laughs> <laughs> or, or the administration too so if, if we divided out it just happened uh, to, so in yeah. your mind is it harder to make good wine or sell good wine well it's a good uh, good question uh the uh, it depends on who you ask. Uh, the the, wi- the winemaker thinks it's easy to make the wine and should be able to sell it very easily. And then the uh, salesperson said, "Well, you got to make a uh, a better wine, or you got to make uh, what the public wants." And uh, and uh, so uh, it's a combination, and it's uh, each in its own way. I'd love to hear those conversations. You fly on the wall for that one. <laughs> so make, make a better wine. That's <laughs> what the public wants. Right. Well, your 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 dad, I don't think, went to any kind of like school to learn how to make wine. Um, he was just basically a home winemaker that figured it out. Yeah. So that you don't have a, you're not taking samples and sending it out to a lab or anything. So did, I mean, right. And you are not buying yeast to bring in to kick off fermentations and stuff, right? Everything's just done yeah, naturally. Right. And, if, that, and if right. something goes wrong, well, it away. <laughs> remember non-vintage. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't, uh, it didn't have a real structure to the winemaking process, but that, right. it did develop into the later 50s. People right. as got more, more into the wines of, of the world, uh, then started getting into the analysis. And there is a, uh, there is a, a company in uh, Berkeley called Berkeley uh, Yeast Labs, and they would do, uh, they would do analysis for you. So it, we started getting, and that was mostly when my brother got involved. Before then, uh, my father really had the the old uh, uh, natural uh, winemaking ways. So, right. Yeah. Well, and then at, at some point, you and your brother decide your, or I don't know if it was a decision you made or your dad made that he was going to get out and you guys were going to take over. Uh, yeah, as my dad was uh, getting on in years, and so he was. Uh, you know, getting towards retirement, and uh, and we were obviously older. So then we were, we my brother had pretty much taken over all the winemaking, and uh, my father was really not involved anymore in that. So mm-hmm. so then we we just uh, progressed and, and tried to make the changes along the way to. Uh, 
Well, yeah, was there something? How'd that, that you, go? <laughs> yeah, was there something that you guys wanted to do, but when your dad was here, he thought it wasn't a great idea? Uh, he, he would kind of go along with, with my brother uh, to make changes, and, uh, and so it wasn't, it wasn't like they, you know, at, at, uh, at each other's heads <laughs> about you got to change yeah. or not. It was more my brother was really led the way. Uh, and he had, he had done, you know, done some, some little, went to uh, some classes at Davis and, you know, right. some of the help for a little modernizing the technology. Right. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's family business, Sam. You know what a family business is like. I worked for family businesses. Um, it, it, but, you know, you guys are still a family business. And that's what's so awesome. I mean, you know, uh, Julie, you're a partner now, right? President. I mean, you guys are all, you know, and, and and you have next generations coming in. And it's awesome after this amount of time. There, there's not that many of you guys. Um, so... Yeah, well, it's still uh, under debate there sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, we we continue on. We that's that was our that step uh, came from my father, and to my brother and I, and then of course to to the next generation. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, uh, it's it's. I mean, we see it. Like you know, family wineries go away. You you always think that you know it would never happen, but it, it does happen. You know, somebody certain amount of people don't want to be in the business, and there's no one there to take over. And um, it, it's 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 sad, but it's the realities of it, right? Yeah. So, um, no, it's not easy. It's yeah. not easy. Yeah. So. And 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 there's more people, right? And yeah. so you know, you almost have to hope that some people do want to go on and do their own thing, right? Um, Somebody be a doctor, or a lawyer, or something. Right. Definitely need some lawyers. <laughs> Someone start a tech company. Yeah, exactly. They can fund the winery. <laughs> I mean, just counting all these new barrels that are you're sitting in front of Bart. Right. Somebody's right. got to fund this stuff. Right. You have a beautiful facility here. This is amazing. Uh, yeah, well, it goes it goes back quite a few years. Developed very slowly uh, to original buildings, and uh, th this particular building we are now is in the seventies, uh, uh, early seventies that we built this. Yeah. And so. yeah, we saw a little bit of your library collection in the uh, in the other room over there. Yeah, we yeah. had to restrain ourselves from digging in. <laughs> <laughs> There's some fascinating bottles back in there. So. So when did you guys kind of see a trend in the wine industry where you decided we're going to put varietals on there, we're going to have vintage, we're going to have the the area on there, and then sort of get out there and start competing with the only people I can assume you were competing with would be French um, at some point? Uh, yeah, there was some uh, California wineries starting to get into... Uh into the varietals and uh, and getting away from the generics, and so we we kind of felt that was going on. So we we saw that there wasn't going to be a future in just selling a wine called Burgundy or or Chablis. So right. it it had to be, and that those brought more value to the to the vineyard too, and the and to the wine themselves. So if you could basically upgrade. Yeah. Well, in Cabernet, would, did you then plant Cabernet or were you, were you buying Cabernet from someone else? We actually, uh, we planted some in 1965, and but we'd also purchased some 
some grapes in uh, uh, before then. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually purchased some grapes from Fetzer, started uh, started some. And huh. Robert Young out in Alexander Valley was one of the early planters of, Ca- I'm talking about Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I have a question for you as a psalm. Do you know when um, the imports really started to come to America? I have no idea. I know that for for the longest time, we were drinking primarily sweet wine here in the United States. And so it was like Madeira. Uh, even the signing of the Declaration of Independence, when you think back to that time, they were all toasting with Madeira. That was sort of the palate of, of well, also people. Tra- it travels better. And that's that, a right? good point too, right? Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> well, that, that is a good point. Actually, the the production of in California of uh, what we call sweet wines or mm-hmm. dessert wines were more production up till uh, about 1961, 62. Mm-hmm. Overall production, okay, greater in higher alcohol wines than than the uh, than our well, table wine, and, yeah. and that makes sense also. And I think, well, you you kind of talked about it. Uh, I think a big shift started to happen when all these guys started coming back from Europe <laughs> after World War II, and they were in Europe, and they were in France, and they were in Italy, and they were in Germany, and they were drinking the local wines, which were totally different, you know, more what we think of now as far as, you know, wine production. And as those guys started coming back here and, you know, starting families and having businesses, that's kind of what they were looking for. I think that's what really drove a lot of that shift, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it it really introduced uh, different wines than what they were used to, the homemade wines, and uh, so it 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 did have an impact. And I, I think as people traveled too, after you know, you got into the late fifties or sixties, and traveling, you know, in, encourages. Uh, Right. The different foods and different wines. I I, I don't want to just wax over the two wines that we're no. having. And um, the Sauvignon Blanc uh, was a 22 Sauvignon Blanc, uh, Dry Creek Valley, um, uh, named after the original founders. Is that correct? Right, right. That's uh, and that's just our new new label that we've just. And, uh, and I don't know if you guys know this. The new label was designed by a friend of the pod. Oh, is this a uh, is this a Gato a Gato Rivera joint? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so shout out to those guys. Um, I, I I've only seen a couple of them from a distance. I love it. It's yeah. It yeah. it seems like it's you guys. Um, it seems um, grounded. Uh, yeah, it seems like, and the awesome. label actually is very Chen Blue, isn't it? Mm. You know, I mean, got a little bit of that, but that you know, yeah. blue in the oak tree. Well, yeah. it's and, not and, oak and the old label and all the different uh, iterations of it are, have always been kind of iconic and and beautiful. But th- this is just really, really nice. Great wine. Yeah, kind of like have Tim Gatto's voice in my head from that show, t- breaking down why he chose each part of this and right. kind of spreading it out and cleaning it up. And, yeah. you know, the first thing that, you, that I saw when I saw this bottle was the family owned since 1927, yeah. you know, before I even saw anything else. And I think Tim would uh, take that as a win yeah. for sure. Yeah. Shout out, Tim. I'm sure you'll listen sometime in the next few weeks. Right. Yeah. yeah, well, it, part of it was also that. Uh, the name is not an easy name, Pedroncelli. So it it's a pretty big name. So you Google knows it. <laughs> Just you know, our Googles are we've trained that algorithm to pronounce all these Italian things. Wanna, I didn't mean yeah, to no, it's okay. We, we 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 wanted to focus in on the 
the name is the main thing yeah. there. So. Yeah, I guess that's right. I mean, those of us that grew up here, we're very familiar with Pedroncelli. It's right. not, a, I mean, we can say Gunlock Bunchu, Pedroncelli is <laughs> not a stretch um, for us. And that Sauvignon Blanc has been, I mean, I don't know how long I've been drinking that Sauvignon Blanc. Is that, has that, when did you guys start making Sauvignon Blanc? Oh, this is uh, probably into the 25, 30 years now that we've been making it. Uh, I forget exactly oh. which timing is of it, uh, but uh, quite a while. Yeah. It's yeah, it's thirties. Yeah, it's delicious. Well, weren't you? This is what we were we talking about. This. This is what like Dan Costa was be like drinking out of coffee mugs as shifties at uh, the restaurant back we in the day or something. Remember right? whether it was Patrick Capiello. Um, or Dan Costa, but I think, it was, Dan Costa. I think it was Dan saying that he was working at a restaurant in Healdsburg as a server or a busboy or something. Right. And he said, he said that Pedricelli Sauvignon Blanc, they would just, it was always sitting on ice because it was something they poured by the glass. And so they would just fill up coffee cups and he sat through his whole shift. <laughs> just, that was like his favorite thing was this, he has great memories of that. I mean, I could have kept drinking that for the whole podcast for sure. I mean, fine. <laughs> coffee like. <laughs> Was it, was it, I know some people go back and forth, especially really established labels like yours about changing the label and, and, um, was that ever a concern for you changing it? And Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We definitely had, uh, had, uh, discussions about changing yeah. it. And, uh, I always felt like, well, the name was, as I say, kind of difficult and we want to make sure we've get the name out there and continue that because if you if you recognize the name on an old label then pretty soon you get the fancy colors or something and then is it is that the same is that the same people right so i i think continuity is is good part so but you also have to change so that's the new generation i guess we'll okay give that to them well julie do you want to do you want to talk about a little bit of that process for yourself i don't i Sure. Yeah, I don't yeah. mean to put you on the spot, that's, but that's fine. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm happy to talk about it. It was a it was a process. What we wanted to do, and working with Tim and Antonio and everybody at Gato Rivera, was um, to tell our story in a different way. And by by their you know the the by use of the image. Um, wish that everybody could see it while we're talking, but uh, by the use of the There'll image... There'll be pictures on social media and stuff. Oh, great, perfect. And check out the website. I'm sure we'll shout it out in a minute. Yeah. And, but by use of that image, what it does is it does tell part of... There, there are four in the series, and it tells a little bit of our early story in each one of them. So with the Sauvignon Blanc, it told the story of our founders, Giovanni and Julia. Uh, it also tells a story about how our winemaker makes the wine. Um, in the center, there's a tree that has two trunks that are twisted. It, it represents my grandparents, the deep roots in Dry Creek Valley here. Um, but it also tells the story of um, Monse Reese, our winemaker, picking at two different times. So we have 11 acres of Sauvignon Blanc, so this is all a state, and she'll pick one side, which is one block, a week earlier than the other one. And in doing that, um, she gets both sides of the Sauvignon Blanc grape. She gets that grassiness, but she also gets that tropical fruit side that with a little more ripeness. And, and the two different, the two are different blocks. They, they, they create different styles of wine. So by picking them about a week apart, she gets that nice depth. She says she does not want to make a monolithic Sauvignon Blanc. So this, this really grabs both sides of the grape. And that's why I love 
this awesome. label. And and it just it, it tells our story in a unique way by pulling in um, just different aspects of our labels from the 50s forward. I mean, it just, uh, to me, there's every, I can pull apart and tell you which one. Hmm. But what I do love is what they did is the Petroncelli on the label um, is our block lettering. And they took it. That is their own that's our that's our font, you know, <laughs> so it. to speak. Uh, so they really it, it's history, not only on the label but in the actual font itself for Petroncelli. So and I, and I just, did they send it over as like a font book that you can write a letter in? On if they haven't done that, I'll, I'll make sure that happens. I'll have to. Yeah, maybe there will be a Petroncelli font now. There you go. <laughs> Instead of a century, all, all or, caps, <laughs> bold, sans serif. So, so now, who's making you wine? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's Italian. You are, you know, you're not screaming. You're just no louder. <laughs> so who's making your wines? Um, Monse Reese. Uh, she's um, been with us since the 2007 vintage as assistant winemaker with my uncle. My uncle had uh, sixty more than sixty vintages under his belt um, before he uh, left us, and uh, that's quite a legacy here at Petroncelli. We've only had three head winemakers in our ninety-six years of history, wow. and my grandfather first, my uncle second, and Monse began as winemaker. She's assistant winemaker until twenty fifteen when she became our winemaker after my uncle passed, and um, she has done a great job interpreting the house style, but also making it her own. So she she's from Spain, and she started there, went to university there, came over, I'll just give you a quick history, yeah. went to Gloria Ferrer, okay. and loved, fell in love with California, and stayed. And so she's been here since, I think, 1999 or so, and uh, then went to uh, Rodney Strong and Ferrari Carano. And then my uncle and dad um, hired her in 2007. It's and amazing you've only had three. Three winemakers yeah. in 96 years. Yeah. That's yeah. correct. That's, that's, <laughs> 60, that's 60 vintages. That doesn't mean like, you know, running off and working half a year somewhere else. It's 60 vintages no. complete. 60 vintages as winemaker? Right. So, and has spent his whole life like you have in these vineyards and in this winery, right? Can we actually uh, break down... The property a little bit. You talked about there's 11 acres of Sauvignon Blanc, kind of what it is now and how that's uh, evolved over those 96 plus years. Yeah, we've gone through uh, some different varieties For that sure. uh, were planted. Uh, at one time, we had uh, Gewurztraminer, and uh, and we even had Chardonnay uh, planted in some of these vineyards. But uh, we're a little further north, maybe a little bit warmer. So for those varieties. Uh, we felt better suited to Sauvignon Blanc right. in, in the region. And that's what we've tried to do, uh, pick the variety for the specific, uh, whether it's the hillside with Zinfandel or some of the lower land for Cabernet. Uh, we try to suit it to, uh, to the soil and, and, uh, and some of our climate that's a little bit uh, more unique here than, uh, than some of the other areas for those varieties. Right. And then how many acres of, yeah, what's the, of old vine is there? Uh, we have uh, b about 100 acres altogether, and uh, most of them, or, well, they have been replanted, uh, but uh, probably mostly uh, 30, 40 years for the red, right. red variety. Okay. Uh, a little bit less for, for the, the white, okay. uh, the Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. 
I just noticed what we were drinking. This is, will you talk about this? This is the Zinfandel. This is the mother clone. And what does that mean to you? Uh, well, that's kind of uh, from the uh, original uh, plantings of Zinfandel here. And we also, some of the ones that have been replanted, we've taken the budwood from the old and started some new, the new vines with. And so that's, we kind of going back to those original plantings to, uh, to us. To the most uh, most extent, so so and we call it somehow or there's somebody mentioned that this was from the uh, the, the old block right. or the mother block and uh, and so uh, uh, that's how we gave it that name. Yeah. And so you you have original plantings on the property still from. Uh, there's a small amount of the original amount, planting, yeah. uh, but it's it's dwindled down to where it's we still harvest it, but it, right. it's it's not. Not enough to really maintain a separate bottling. Right. Or, right. Yeah. right. Yeah. So is this established as the Pedrinelli clone of of Zinfandel? Has that been um, sort of sussed out over the years? Because I imagine it's going yeah. back to the plantings that your parents bought. So nobody yeah. knows where that clone where came I from, right? Of. But we claim it as our home, so I, so, I guess so. That's yes. yes. All right. <laughs> so I mean. Uh, but again, you know, it's that thing about the difference between a clone and a field selection. So, right. you know, um, this would be the Petrincelli selection, right? Like, yeah. right. Um, Can and, anybody and, do tracing on that genetically and determine what and where, Bart? Uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I think, I, I don't think you can get that far. Nah, okay. You can, find, you can figure genetics. out varietal, but, oh, okay. you know. Yeah. That said, I'm sure that if you, you know, took one of those you know vines especially that's been grafted a couple of times and you know because you graft off the best looking ones then when you pull you know put a pedrincelli third fourth generation clone of zinfandel versus you know the martini clone from from monero so there's probably you know to a trained eye noticeable differences in the way the vine grows the berries taste and you know ultimately what the wine tastes like will will totally you know, sort of as that missile selection works its way through, starts to change. Well, and I think you always selected the budwood was from healthy vines, right, the wines the that vines. were really growing, yeah. growing well or producing good fruit. And you didn't, you kind of eliminated if they were kind of uh, right. uh, vines that were suffering. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, Jim, have you seen a sort of an ebb and flow of Zinfandel in California over the years with popularity? We, and just to tell you, we always sort of hope as Californians, as native Northern Californians, that Zinfandel never becomes too popular because we we like that we can get a nice quality wine at a at a decent price since we're all daily wine drinkers. Um, but was when it when it stopped being a field blend and sort of became Zinfandel? What has sort of the market been for Zinfandel over the years? Well, it's been we've had a a market for it, although uh, some of it has been uh, a little taken over by some of the new plantings, the Cabernet Sauvignons and the, and the Pinot Noirs. Yeah. But uh, there's still, I think, an identity to this area for for Zinfandel growing, Dry Creek Valley especially. Yeah. And so I think that it's recognized by some of the wine consumer that that enjoys it, and and there's something to be said about the Zinfandel. It's a little more has a little more fruit forward than a Cabernet, 
you get that berryness to it, and yeah. I, I think it's can be even more enjoyed than uh, than some of those other red right. wines. Well, I've heard you say even too when you go out in the vineyard <laughs> yeah. that um, just tasting a Zinfandel grape off the vine is 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 a much more yeah. pleasurable experience than yeah. any of the other. Grapes. Yeah, that and that's a grape that you can actually enjoy eating right. as comparison to a Cabernet or some of the others. Right. They don't taste great. Uh, or they don't have that berry flavor to them. That yeah. uh, Sk- all the skins and stems. Yeah. Right. Skins, yeah, skins and seeds. Yeah. Sticks and stems. Wait, seeds and stems? Wait, that's Se- down to <laughs> seeds and stems again. Yep. <laughs> well, and do you, it's interesting that we see a lot now of, of younger winemakers wanting to make Chenin Blanc, yep. French Columbard, yep. Trousseau Gris. They want to sort of go back to these things that were planted before, um, which is interesting because it's what's a, such a shame is that we've ripped a lot of these vineyards out and now people are going to want, they want to revisit those. But I think that's part of why they want to revisit is because it's not um, widely planted or widely distributed. Um, but I don't know if you've seen that out there. Um, we notice in, in bottle shops and on shelves now that seems to be a resurgence of some of these old uh, varietals that we used to drink, but I haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, true. Uh, we used to make a lot of Chenin Blanc, and we kind of went to change the the formula a little bit with going to Chardonnay. And But there's a place for those those other wines. They have all distinct character to them, so yes, let's yeah. let's grow something uh, a little different. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I mean, it it using Shannon in in general. I mean, the amount of people have jumped on the Shannon train in the past, you know, five it, years. It's amazing. Does Mark still there, make like there's Shannon? Yeah. Like there's there's not that Mark much. makes Shannon. Yeah, we we need people to plant some more Shannon, yeah. folks. <laughs> is dry is do you think Dry Creek's a good area for Shannon Blanc? No idea. But I would <laughs> gladly yeah. No, you know, there's the Shannon um grown over there on West Dry Creek Road or on Dry Creek Road um that uh uh what's his name makes. That's the one vineyard here, uh uh Leo Steen. That's a Dry uh, Creek Shannon. Okay. Um but that's the only one that I know of, at least at this point. Yeah. I mean, yep. you'd think that warmer places with big berry varieties, yeah, kind of go hand in hand. So <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, in in the Loire, it's all as you go up the valley, the style of the wine that they make from Shannon changes, right? And right. So the cooler, it's you know, from cooler to warmer area. Um, so, yeah. But enough about Shannon. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get back to you. <laughs> back to Zen. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, um, th- this is this has really been awesome. Um, what are what's something looking forward that you um, wonder about the wine industry, um, or something that you're excited about uh, in the wine industry? Well, I think uh, part of it is the the continuity of in our in our family is to continue it, and uh, uh, I think there are concerns about whether the new generation. Uh, uh, you know, takes to the consumption of wine like uh, maybe some of the older generations, yeah. and so that that's a concern, and and some of the uh, the the trends are a little bit you know come and go kind of quickly, and uh, and so uh, what since we've been here a long time, we we want to stick with uh, something that uh, 
that uh, will continue. And um, I mean, aren't uh, you glad you're not trying to start a winery right now? Oh, uh, for sure, <laughs> for sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. When what are you doing um, in your free time? Are you are you hanging out here in the tasting room and? Um, uh, no, I keeping I, the kids I, in line, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I show up occasionally, but uh, I'm uh, I'm at home uh, uh, with. Uh, uh, my wife and uh, we're kind of uh, enjoying the times. And uh, I I watch Bloomberg uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bloomberg uh, stock reports yep, and right uh, yep. that, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's been a pretty good year for that, hasn't it? Not bad, not bad. I I watch my uh, retirement account, so I uh, I, I, yeah. I just saw that the other day. I got my four hundred one k thing in the in the mail, and yeah. I said I'm making twelve point six percent on my investments. I've, I didn't that know nice? that was a thing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone says that, you know Joe Biden's turning the economy into the crapper. No, I'm, no, no. Bidenomics are working. <laughs> maybe I'm watching the maybe, wrong channel. Maybe everyone on your podcast <laughs> that you listen to over there, <laughs> Joe Rogan Jr. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, there. Everything seems quite healthy at this moment. Quite yeah, frankly, yes, uh, heading the right we're, direction. We're gone with that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. What about it doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Julie? What What are your thoughts? You know, on the wine industry now, and what's something that you're like excited about? Oh, you know, I think you know, like my dad was saying, there's always there's always challenges. Yeah. There's challenges no matter what decade we're talking about, you know, I mean, and so there will be challenges going forward. With 10 decades of business experience here at Pedro and Shelly, yeah. I'm sure you can look back and see the ups and downs, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I always, I used to say, I watched John and my dad uh, ride the waves because literally that's what you do. You ride the waves of whatever. It's the economy. It's the, uh, you know, oversupply, undersupply, what Mother Nature gives you, all of that, everything, it all comes together. And that's why wine is such an interesting thing to be in um, because you never know what's around the corner. Uh, but for the future, um, I think it's exciting to look at, you know, we're starting some replanting. Um, I'm excited about that because we're talking about what do we want to replant with. Um, so uh, we're going to be rejuvenating our vineyards. We're taking a look at our 10-year plan. Um, we're actually looking at growth rather than shrinking. So uh, that's that's all part of what we're looking at in the future. So it's, it's an exciting time. Uh, whether the fifth generation of the Petroncelli family is going to be involved, we don't know. They're 16 and under. So yeah. we have no idea so where they're not allowed to be involved. legally. They're not. Yeah. Legally. <laughs> and, and so, you know, that's the other thing that always comes up with family business succession is yeah. the succession part. Right. Are people, are family members interested enough to keep it going and, or just to be part of it. And, uh, you know, Hey, I was told when I was in high school that the, I wasn't necessarily guaranteed a job here. I've now been here for 38 years. <laughs> So still waiting for that other job. <laughs> <still offer. there>. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my major was English with a writing emphasis. Yeah. I wasn't planning on being in the wine business, but I do like to say a liberal arts education is probably the best thing you can have if you're in the industry. But 
uh, yeah. So the future uh, is is looking good. It's just, again, you just have to understand that there will always be challenges. And that's just something that comes along with the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. And and you used to spend quite a bit of time out on the road um, selling, right? I mean, as you have. um, uh, Are you still doing that or too many things around here now? A lot more things going on here. I'm not, yeah, I, my, the pandemic ended it like quickly. Um, so I spend a lot of time on zoom sales meetings, uh, and reaching out to, um, uh, our wholesalers, our trade partners that way. Um, I may travel a little bit, but not, not nearly as much as I used to. And, and how many States, because our listeners are all over the place, um, and you're you're a winery that I mean a lot of wineries that we have on don't have distribution, um, but they can probably get out and find your wine in stores. Where how many states are you guys in? Well, we're in almost all of the states, but when I say that, not all of our wines are in sure. all of it. So sure. I would you know things like our Mother Clone Zinfandel and our Sauvignon Blanc, our wines you're you're likely to find out there. Okay. Uh, but our website is a great resource. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but, um, we do, we do, we are distributed around in the major, you know, I would say major markets have the most of our wine and right. then, you know, all those. But the ones that, that they'll most likely see are the Mother Clones Inn and the Sauvignon Blanc. Yes. And, and our Cabernet, our Three Vineyards Cabernet, okay. which will soon be named Brothers Mark in honor of my dad and my uncle. Oh, uh, awesome. But that's, that's a change coming up in the fall. Yeah. Uh, with the Gato Rivera design. That was their best work, nice. really. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. uh, that's to come. Yeah. That's to come. Awesome. And uh, what is your production here? Well, in a non-drought year, uh, we we, <laughs> we were at about we were exist. at about fifty thousand, but it's been lower than that uh, in the last couple of vintages. Um, we're looking at about an average crop this year, so we'll probably get up to. And we've been sourcing more fruit and things like that to kind of keep our because, like I said, we're we're looking at growth. Yeah. Uh, rather than shrinking, so um, yeah, so I'd say fifty thousand is about. But that's the you know the big end of small. <laughs> uh, you know, we talk with a lot of people who do thirty five hundred, five hundred, or five thousand cases. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's just Joel yeah. And how many do, what, what Joel yeah. do yeah. got a lot, a lot, <laughs> just a lot. Huh? <laughs> yeah. And what's uh, uh, sixteen six hundred? I don't know. Okay, you have to count. Uh, d- d- again, depends how much depends, Phil sends. Right, it depends on depends on what he can't find somebody else to buy. Uh, you know that twenty five hundred to thirty five hundred. Again, it's uh, you know the droughts and crop size has a lot to do with it. Um, what we end up bringing, and we usually trying to hover right around three three thousand. Just as a uh, friend of the podcast uh, Craig Hazler used to say to me when I told him that number <laughs> just enough to ruin the rest of your life right. <laughs> so let's talk about that the drought year and a great year um, how bad was it up here over the last three four years well it was uh, unusual and different because uh, not only was it drought we had the fires that really uh, impacted us uh, in the, 20 in you 20, guys were yeah and 19 also? Uh, no, 20. 20. Yeah. Well, you were... there, the prior fires didn't impact us before 20. And then uh, so we lost crop. We Some of the vineyards. So they were, were really close. They, they yeah. did burn yeah. right over the hill, huh? Yeah. Yeah. They wow. Were just, just over. And a lot, of, a lot of the smoke and everybody's un, um, un, unready, I guess, to, to handle the, 
the the concerns of the smoke uh, taint, and so we we did we did lost quite a bit of production there. Did you do any? 20s? Oh no, we still did. We, we, still, we still yeah. we still did. And I I saw skeptic and looked at the label and I was like, oh, and it's it's clean. There's it's nothing perfect. there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And actually, I I I guess I shouldn't say, but I think it's better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a good thing. Well, I, so, I think uh, everybody yeah. feels the same way when yeah. you know you got to say it, but it's hard to say it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we one of the other reasons why we're here is uh, we had Glenn Proctor on. And um, and Glenn is a big fan of yours, yeah. um, and so um, and and their property is just across the valley from here. Okay, um, right, right. And so um, I think I know it. Yeah. It burned right up against them. Um, so yeah, but that's close. That's yeah. not something you can really prepare for, is it? The f- no, definitely not. How well, I think we're doing is. better now because people are clearing clearing the the potential fire zones and. Uh, so it's better, but you, you can't. Well, we had a controlled burn down by uh, the racetrack, and and everything blew right into Sonoma, and people just freaked out completely. I freaked out. I live in Runner Park, and as I came down into Sonoma, it's just you get that feeling. It, right. You feel it in your body of, oh no, uh, what's yeah, what's going on i mean we were doing hourly updates for people because they were calling the radio stations yeah. like what's going on so well and that was for uh, the control burn yeah, yeah. really that was a f- uh, just a couple of weeks that ago was fire forward sasha burlman yeah that's what i was on, wondering we'd, we'd had yeah. on the show and you know we can we can talk about things that went wrong with that i think mostly it was uh information Right. That went wrong with that, you know. I mean, we're all on Nixle alerts, and I feel like I get a Nixle alert every time there's a traffic light out in Napa County, <laughs> and you get nothing from Sonoma County. Crash and, on Silverado Road. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, you know that fi- I think that fire probably, if you asked Sasha, uh, did exactly what it was supposed to do. Right. Um, you know, and got smoky at the end when it hit the the wet grass and burned itself out. It just and then the you know the wind was blowing in with the fog off the you know off the bay and blew that smoke right up the valley. Uh, doesn't make any of us feel any better. Right. But uh, I, you know, imagine that on the you know the score list of you know the scoreboard of of a prescribed burn, no one probably checked all the boxes uh, except for the telling us it was happening part. Yeah, it, well, unfortunately, I heard someone say that's really irresponsible of them. And I'm like, well, what? What's irresponsible <laughs> about it that you, you know, the the wind blew the wrong way. That's all. Actually, no. Like I'm telling you, the wind blew the right way. Right. Well, right. Yes, you're I right. mean, but that's it blew it into it, that. Yeah. That wind coming off the bay and off the ocean is the wind that is, you know, brings in the fog and is heavy and and moist and did exactly what it was supposed to do. It's the wind out of the that would have blown it towards Marin. Right. Um, that is the scary wind. Yeah, but I mean, the, it blew the, the wrong way if you live in Sonoma. Right, yeah. and and if and if you do, and if you don't understand like right. how important control burns are. Right, right. Yeah. So anyway, so Julie, I'm curious, Julie and Jim, of the our listeners, um, if they go out to the store and they see these wines, but I want them to get the wines that they can't get in the stores. So I want to know what your favorites are that you guys sell that are on your website, but that aren't readily available because that's the stuff they always want. Yeah. And also talk a little bit about, you know, you guys have a tasting room we do. Um, and, and some of the things that you guys do here. Sure. Well, dad, you got, do you have any other favorites that maybe aren't quite as available out, uh, out in the bout? 
Uh, well, most of them are available. We have some limited production yes. items uh, that pretty much just direct to consumer or tasting room. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do like, we have a couple. We have one called Courage and another one called Wisdom. And uh, so I think that reflects our some of our our thinking here. And the, the wisdom is the Cabernet. Uh, yes, yes, it's the Cabernet, and the, uh, courage is the uh, is the uh, Zinfandel. Oh, okay. we've we're going to taste some but, wisdom. Okay, right? You're, you're going to gain wisdom okay. right now in your Asking mason shall jar. Receive, right? <laughs> Just that simple. I was ready for you. <laughs> that's um, great. So yes, and and I I'd say another little something that we have that's not you know widely available is our Cabernet Franc. Oh, we uh, we oh, make a. Uh, There's always a secret camera. <laughs> oh, I hit the sweet spot with that one. Um, we actually have been growing it for quite some time. It has always been part of our um, Three Vineyards Cabernet Bordeaux blend. Mm -hmm. And um, a few years ago, Jim took a uh, bit of it out and we uh, t test ran it. And uh, it's a small small lot, so it's not available pretty much outside of here. But it's it's a great it's a. Cabernet Franc grown in Dry Creek Valley, so you got a little bit more of that kind of cooler climate, that little bit of what our winemaker likes to refer as greenier. So there's that little touch of the greenier in it. But it's a really nice, uh, very nicely made one. Um, so yeah, that's that's a little little something there. Our tasting room, yes. Uh, we just uh, went through a little refurb on the outside, so it's uh, very looking very new, cheery new and inviting. Today, huh? And a new, <laughs> we're getting a new roof today, so that's, that's why, why we we're here in the, in the barrel cellar, Bali line room. Uh, but uh, anyway, we uh, have plenty of space outside. We have a bocce court. If people want to come and play bocce, they can do that. Uh, you know, we've got a patio with great vineyard views, and of course, the wines inside are even better. So. Anyway, come by and visit us. We'd love to have you. Appointment, walk in, both. Both. Yep. Yeah, and some of, we have f friends that are sort of neighbors of yours. Uh, the Frick. Well, Bill yeah. Frick is up the road. Yes. And then April and Doug Nall um, just down uh, Dry Creek. So, right. come, come, so, make yes. the drive up here, yeah. and you can it's go visit three of our. Um, three of our favorite spots what was the frick you used to buy that's, that's at it. girl in the frick yeah that's it uh what varietal uh sanso okay yeah well i don't know how that's, jim would say it i'm curious um i i don't know i love when it, uh, so when you said what is it kerrigan because we hear Kerrigan. people from we've had um, growers and winemakers on from lodi that have these pronunciations of some of the grapes and because oh. everything gets so fancy in French in the restaurants so you know we oh, yeah. we want to say it like like petite Syrah and then we've heard Petit Sarah well it used to be Petit Sarah right and now now it's Petit Sarah right <laughs> okay I was wondering if Sanso just used to be called Sinso or something I don't know uh, it was, it was uh, referred to as like a totally different varietal uh. it wasn't I want to say not Napa Gamay was uh, Valdegay. Valdegay. Yeah, uh, became uh, Valdegay. Became yeah. Valdegay. Yeah. But Cinso, I think, was always called something else. And hmm. I realized it was Cinso. I mean, it was like sort of the the backbone of Hardy Burgundy. You know, you have Cinso and you have Zinfandel and Petit Syrah. And oh. that was that Burgundy that's over there on that, that, that wine library shelf we walked by. I took pictures of. Yeah. Which we're curious about those, Jim. What are you doing with the with that library back there? Are you ever offering those to any of your wine club members or podcasters or? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're we're, uh, 
I think we have that in mind to do, but some of those on the rack are more for uh, visual, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> visual appreciation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you ever surprised when you go in every once in a while and take a dip into the library and find a find something that's really interesting? Yeah, well, uh, once in a while we will pop a twenty-year-old and uh, take a, and, and they've held up very well. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously aging and softening, but uh, yeah. the, the 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 reds have held well. Nice. What was the oldest vintage you saw back there? Um, I mean, there was stuff going back into the seventies, and when I see like you know early 70s um, Pinot and Zinfandel. I mean, I get excited. <laughs> you should. Yeah. Yeah. And people, I don't think people think about Zinfandel as, as one of those grapes traditionally that you would age. But I, one of my favorite wines that I've ever opened was a 67 David Bruce Zinfandel that I thought, I mean, we opened it up immediately thinking, oh, this is probably over the hill. And it was one of the best wines I've had in a long time. So, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that uh, a lot of times we look at Zinfandel, we usually think about drinking it younger, but it does it does age. It takes on a little different character. I think it's a little bit more uh, like Cabernet after you lose that the, the fresh fruitiness of it. Yeah. So. Well, and the conversation is, is actually, um, I hear it more and more now about Zinfandel being considered to be one of the more like the noble grapes and and a food pairing wine um whereas before you just hear oh it goes good with barbecue um you know at, at a picnic or something but i hear more and more sommeliers at restaurants talking about how it's something that they're recommending at michelin star restaurants yeah so, they're getting serious about it right yeah so keep keep making yeah. more of that zinfandel we certainly will yeah that clown. this wisdom is right up my alley isn't that great right yeah. wow beautiful yeah. stuff thank yeah. you very much yeah. this is a second generation cabernet vineyard we first planted it in 1965 jim was referencing earlier so yeah it's a it's a nice one yeah nice estate little spot right off of west dry creek road yeah is, is, that, the, is that the one where you have the sign on it no that's the other okay. side of the vineyard. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, and uh, Julie, will you just tell people if oh you can if they want to go on the website and um, purchase some wines or sure. um, phone number if they want to come um, visit you? Sure. Yeah. All right. So the website is very simple: www.pedrincelli.com. Two L's. Two L's. Yeah, let's yep. spell. Let's spell that for those of us <laughs> listening at home. P e d r o n c e l l i dot com and uh, the number to call is 707-857-3531 and we're open 10 to 4 30 daily and so come by and stop by we're open every day except major holidays nice and it's nice that you can come you know if you're just driving down because uh, my wife and i made a pact when we were driving around france we would take any turn we wanted to take and there's always somebody down the road that is making great wine you know, it might not be, they might, might not make much of it, but damn, is it good, you know? Yeah. So that's the way to find wine and find wineries. It really is. Yeah. Jim, can't thank you enough um, for coming and meeting us today. Yep. Um, and yeah. Julie. Yeah. And Julie. Yeah. She's the president, man. Yeah, Come on. Don't mess with her. <laughs> uh, she's uh, she's the one now. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And is this the first podcast that you've ever been on? Uh, probably so. I can't remember another one. Well, congratulations. I've, I've done a zoom, a zoom, but no, yeah. 
on a podcast. Yeah. Well, I wanted to wait for the right, you know, right the situation. The right team, huh? The, While right still in sales. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I get zero bars on my phone. Yeah, we're here. in a we're in a bunker here, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to post they disappeared us. photos yeah. on Facebook and Instagram, and it's like, nope. Yeah, wait till you get back to the highway. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And then pull over. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I pulled over a couple of times for phone calls this morning. So. Yeah. Well, thank you guys very much. We really appreciate it. And um, Yeah, it's great to get up in this part of Sonoma yeah. County. Right. Yeah. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful drive. Yeah, it's stunning. And, and good luck with yeah. the, the next harvest. It's, it's, I know. Number number 97 for the Pedrinelli family? Number ninety six. Okay, okay, and I gotta. I mean, Sorry, I mean, I know we're trying to end the show, but I gotta ask. Uh, you guys must be talking about a hundred, right? Right. What yeah. you got something in mind for this? I mean, we'd be happy to come up and do a show with you. Right. Well, we would love to have you. Party uh, with you. Yeah, I'm gonna let Dad plan the hundredth. No, <laughs> no, we're we are definitely we did our ninetieth, uh, and um, yes, there will be. There's, the plans are going to have to start about now because it's only four years away before we reach 100. But that's that's the cool thing. There's there's lots of lots of excitement um, as we reach our hundred. Well, may, maybe we can use you to help us plan. We're we're trying to do a party for our 300th episode, and f- over five years. So we need a party planner, Julie. <laughs> get the wine and yep, get wine. Party first down. That's the hard part. <laughs> Don't forget the corkscrew. Yeah. Yeah. And the lighter. Oh wait. <laughs> we know we know how to we know how to get around. This. Yeah. All right. All good. Uh, shout outs, guys. Anything? You've got a lot coming up. Stanley Mouse, first of all. I think right? Blues will be out by the time the mouse party has happened. But, uh, you know, by this time you hear this show, you better have gotten your uh, tickets for Catherine Russell, September 17th. Uh, Vinyl Sunday presents our Grenache Day celebration out of the Denmark Street Barn. Catherine so now, Russell. Is there a real uh, hard number of people who can get in? We are allowed to have 200 people on the property. We definitely, uh, hopefully, the um, Nellis family isn't listening, definitely exceeded that at our last one, uh, but we there's only 200 tickets available for sale. Um, and you got to figure that uh, Phil and Arden's guest list will <laughs> eat up a fair chunk of those. So uh, Eventbrite, it's on our website. Get on it. Uh, yeah, Catherine on Russell, it. Tony Saunders uh, with the Keystone Band opening up. Uh, Mike the Baker and Fiorella Burton, formerly of Edge, uh, doing the food. Um, I think we need to get some sweet scoops ice cream out there. It's gonna be, yeah. it's gonna be uh, the event of the year. So, it's not not quite our hundredth Con- birthday party. We're a couple years right. away from playing <laughs> that one, but uh, event of the be... year until Grenache Day. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's it is Grenache. Oh, that's Gr- oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot. It's that same weekend. It's that weekend. Sorry. We turned Grenache Day into a whole three-day extravaganza. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I did talk to... Because um, we can. I did talk to uh, uh, Brett George. Don't call me George Brett. Yes. Um, on the way up. The and, best hitter from Milwaukee, yes. Wisconsin. And, and they um, they have their tickets, so they'll yes. be here for... They for bought the, whether yeah. they come or not, doesn't matter. They bought tickets. So. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, you guys. All right. Anything else? Brian? No, that's it. Okay. Well, thank you, Jim and Julie. Real what pleasure. a pleasure to get up here and uh, really take advantage of all your knowledge. And you guys are wonderful. So P E D R O N C E L L I. Pedroncelli. Pedroncelli. And drink more wisdom. 
There you more go. wisdom. Or Zinfandel. And occasional courage, too. So. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We are the winemakers. Talk to you next week. Bye. All right.